everybody. Welcome to the Tech Analyst Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Shrout, Principal Analyst at Shrout Research, joined by Patrick Moorhead, Principal Analyst at More Insights and Strategy. Patrick, good to talk to you. Ryan, great to talk to you. It's uh, wonderful to be uh, here in Austin. I was on the road uh, all last week on both coasts. Yay! I, uh, I spent a few days in Disney World with my daughter, so it was like being on a work trip. Uh, on your feet, walking around 13, 14 hours a day, but a lot of fun nonetheless. Hashtag, it was 95 degrees yeah. in, in Orlando winning. last week. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was fun. It was good. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about this week. Uh, obviously, Apple announcements, NVIDIA Turing announcements, Qualcomm had a lot of stuff as well. Before we do that, I did want to say we are uh, at the end of our, nearing the end of our runs where we talk about TechCon. Um, Arm TechCon is an event. It's in San Jose. It's this October. It used to be in Santa Clara. They've moved it to San Jose. Uh, it's one of the last remaining true developer conferences of merit after kind of the, the conclusion of the Intel Developer Forum a few years back. And I think you and I both have a, a fairly strong view of what TechCon is and what it presents to attendees, right? Oh, absolutely. I, you know, it is one stop shopping, uh, particularly for. Uh, mobile and IoT, and recently, right, expanding into data center and uh, Windows PCs. Yep. yep. And there's even there's going to be security, 5G, AI, edge processing. There's a ton of ton of topics that are going to be covered and emphasized here. Uh, I was actually on the technical review committee for the show, kind of looking through papers and seeing uh, which presentations they were going to be on display. And because of that, actually, they were letting me uh, give away a handful of free all-access passes to TechCon. These are, these are the $999 passes that we can give away uh, for free on this. Um, all you have to do is, when you do the sign-up process, if you use the code uh, 8 18 arm shroud one. That's what the code is. 1818 arm shroud one. You can get that and you can sign up and you can attend all the same events, uh, all the keynotes, all the sessions, anything you want to do with that. Um, obviously, it's coming up. So if you want to take advantage of that, you got to book your travel and get all of that, get all of that out there. They're going to, they're going to, uh, uh, reveal their server roadmap at this event and the, with Drew Henry. And then one of the lead CPU architects is going to talk about the lessons learned from Spectre and Meltdown. There's going to be a lot of good stuff there. So uh, if you're interested at all, take advantage of that code, uh, hit us up on Twitter, whatever it is, and uh, maybe maybe we'll see you there. So thanks to Arm for, for that. Let's go ahead and jump into the content. Uh, Apple had an event this week, as they do about this time of year every year. Uh, new iPhones, new Apple Watch. Uh, what stood out to you among the, the products in particular this year? Yes, it's interesting. Uh, it is definitely iPhones got a lot of the glory, but to me, probably the biggest piece was the, the Apple Watch Series 4. And you know, it's funny, I don't know if you remember us having this conversation, but when I moved to Samsung, it wasn't that I missed the phone, I actually missed uh, the watch and how it integrates into my life and, and my help. And, uh, but, uh, I think it, you know, reinforces that, you know, Apple is continuing down. It's uh, what I think is a differentiated path with it, which is having a, a compute device, uh, on, on your wrist, a computer on your wrist. And I know that sounds, uh, fluffy and high level, but when you co- compare and contrast to what everybody else is doing, uh, they by far ha- have invested a lot more compute 
uh, and along with that a little bit larger and a little bit less battery life than 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 the others uh, out there but I think first and foremost I mean the biggest thing that it did was um, it it has more of an edge-to-edge display uh, around mm-hmm. 30% uh, more uh, viewable image area but uh, most importantly were the heart monitoring devices that it uh, it, it, it provided essentially uh, you could do uh, an e, uh, ECG, EKG and you could also uh, test for um, um, atrial fibrillation Let's say that five times fast uh, AFib AFib, A-fib. yeah thank you I appreciate <laughs> that, thank you for the, uh, the lifeline there uh, Ryan uh, but you know the cool thing about the ECG, and it's a it's a one connector ECG. This is not like the twelve connectors that they shave your your hairy chest on. Uh, please don't envision that audience. But um, <laughs> it it has passed FDA uh, approval, which which I think is is just crazy. Uh, I never expected that, and it also mm. does uh, another feature. Uh, automatic fall detection and notification so essentially you know your parents are on a ladder your dad's on a ladder he he falls down and he doesn't get up Uh, they'll automatically call a loved one or even 911 so in my head i was thinking my gosh people are going to buy this for their parents and their grandparents uh, to be able to not only better monitor their heart and their activity, but also with the automated uh, fall activity. So, hmm. net net, I think Apple uh, uh, raised the bar on this uh, one, uh, one big uh, uh, one big step. Uh, any thoughts about you with the uh, on the watch? Um, I mean, I, I ordered one. Um, I, I think the fall stuff is interesting. I'm looking forward to you testing that out. Pat, if you don't mind, if you could just step on a chair, fall off, see if it actually works. <laughs> My wife might push; uh, she might help me. So, <laughs> um, uh, but no, no, I'm I'm really interested in in what it is. You know, for me personally, what I have most watches have been relegated to have been notification systems. You know, I do uh, a little bit of tracking um, for. Uh, health and exercise, but like I have a Peloton, so it kind of tracks it there. So I'm actually kind of tracking it in two places. So it's not actually the most efficient way of doing it. Um, but it's, you know, I, I'm interested in the screen improvements, the, the, the uh, volume level changes, like just the louder speaker, I think will be interesting uh, as somebody who's tried to use that in, uh, you know, conference areas or shows and stuff like that. Uh, I think that'll be a benefit too. So, I mean, I, I think it's fair to say these are uh, evolutionary changes, but they're still a pretty significant step ahead in terms of market share and, and all that and mind share on these devices. That's right. Um, That's right. And it really points out the differences in approach between, between you know, I, I see three segments. You have Apple putting... Uh, the computer on the wrist. You have Samsung and Android, who are running. Uh, I would call them more applets than I would full applications. Uh, I mean, you can do a full mapping program that actually runs locally on the Apple Watch. Yeah. Uh, Verse, uh, and then the third segment is kind of these uh, uh, more exercise trackers, uh, stuff that Xiaomi mm-hmm. uh, is actually doing quite. Uh, uh, well, with it, just you know, reinforces that positioning to me. Nothing has nothing has really 
changed. I have the Galaxy Watch. It's nice, but you know, it's not running a full mapping program <laughs> either. Right. So the, yeah. the big news uh, of event that, that that got the most coverage uh, were the the new iPhones. And if you remember last year, Apple did something that I think nobody expected. Uh, their highest unit volume product uh, was actually their most expensive, which was the iPhone X. Right. And so the big question here, at least from an overall perspective, is is what could Apple do to keep the growth train uh, going? Right. They're the number. They're the uh, world's first uh, trillion dollar company, and and how could they keep that growth going? Well, uh, I, I think they put a pretty good. Uh, foot forward they expanded the high end at 1099 with a 6.5 inch uh, 10s max and boy it's hard for me to say 10 I just want to say XS max yeah same it, here. It, it, it's so hard and then uh, put an LCD 6.1 at um, 749 uh, called the yep. iPhone 10r. Uh, so to me, they they have expanded uh, their their market uh, footprint, and then for people who like the form factor of the 10, but but want the latest and greatest, uh, it was it was the 10s. And I, I think the thing that I want to focus on though uh, is the new semiconductor inside the new SoC. Yeah. So Apple does their own uh, SOC design and is also increasingly leveraging their their own intellectual property to do that. Uh, they still have an ARM architectural license, so the CPU is, is ARM instructions, but from a, a GPU, um, uh, uh, camera, accelerator, uh, video, and GPU, uh, and even a memory controller is, is all all of their, their their own IP. So this mm-hmm. year they came out with uh, the A12 Bionic, um, and given that it's been shipping to reviewers, I think we, we probably have to give them first 7 nanometer uh, part. Um, yeah, I think so. I think that the number one thing that came, came out here was uh, inside of A12 Bionic is, is they really shifted what they focused on and how they invested their transistors. They had been really hammering on CPU and GPU really hard, and on the CPU had, at least on a single core performance, had really run up the score on on everybody else in smartphones. But this year, it was all about the uh, the NPU, and all about uh, the GPU, where they they invested their their transistors. Um, they announced that it was a five tera ops. Um, uh, and they Apple confirmed to me that uh, although I didn't quite understand, they said five tera ops and four, eight, and sixteen bit, which honestly didn't make a whole lot of sense to me because that's not how I that think works. That means, <laughs> I think it's I think it's mixed precision, meaning um, they have dedicated pathways for all three of those, and if you run all three, if you run operations of all three types at once it can reach that peak performance level. Yeah, I'm kind of used to the way NVIDIA does it where they put 4, 8, and 16, and 32, right. and there's a multiplier yeah. multiplier effect there. But but anyways, yep. I think it, it it's a statement. I, I, I believe it's less of a statement on what they could do, but more of a statement on where they want to invest their transistors. Um, 
Apple's taken an incredible amount of heat for not doing AI well. I think some of it's deserved, some of it's not. Uh, they do it harder than, let's say, Google, which is they do a lot of the inference on the phone itself, which means they have to have a lot more um, uh, GP, GPU performance. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts? Um, I, I, on the silicon, I think it's it's an impressive it's an impressive piece of hardware, right? Seven nanometer, six point nine billion transistors is a huge leap over what it was before. The CPU design I found kind of interesting in that they're going with the same basic structure, a too big for little design. Um, but these were pretty modest performance increases, touting you know fifteen percent in in CPU side, which is you know, kind of by my estimation here, strictly a frequency increase and that there were no real IPC improvements going from A11 to A12, which is kind of, which is interesting in that that's where Apple had been crushing people, right? Is this IPC advantage they had been uh, mustering up through all their custom uh, ARM64 designs this entire time. So it appears that they have maybe hit a wall a little bit in terms of IPC improvements um, on the CPU side. The GPU is going to get um, some, some performance boosts as well. And then the efficiency gains that that Apple's claiming, you know, a lot of that come from the process node uh, with probably a little bit of uh, as part of the architectural design. And I'm with you on the neural engine. I think they are clearly um, making an investment in this part of it. The one thing, and, and please, please tell me what if I missed something here, but I didn't really get any insight into what it's going to be used for. Like, um, what what the immediate applications are or what their plans for future applications are for this particular, you know, co-processing engine. So I saw a demo that, and again, you and I both go to like more than our handful of events, but there was yeah. a basketball demo that was doing real-time inference. It was a training program where you put the, you put the phone on the player and it's keeping track of... Uh, the shots that you make, where you were, the arc of the ball, the speed of the ball, and what you need to be mm. doing differently in real time without going to the cloud. Uh, and for the first time, huh. they just opened up the neural engine to developers because the previous version uh. of the A11 had been limited to what Apple could do with it. Apple also, right. sh also showed eight different ways that they were improving it Um uh, on uh, inside of their own software and whether it was email, iMessage. Um, but still, I mean, I, I need to use this stuff out and see if it's truly differentiated. But the one thing that really impressed me was the basketball demo. And again, it was a combination of augmented reality, but absolutely had to do some serious object detection and recognition uh, doing some hardcore inference on the device itself. I'd never seen anything like it. Now, I've, I've yeah. three kids who are in sports, and I'm always saying, gosh, why can't this be in real time? Or, or why can't somebody do that? And somebody somebody did. So very cool. Yeah. Yeah, I ordered a 10s and a 10s Max, and we'll get them in and mess around with them and see what these displays can actually do. Uh, so I'm sure we'll talk about those in the in the next episode once we both get our our hands on them. Uh, real quick side note: since we mentioned seven nanometer and first to seven nanometer, there was actually a story that went around last week of. Uh, uh, both Qualcomm and MediaTek were delaying their 7 nanometer chip production because 
of uh, of costs and production issues, uh, and that they were delaying them into you know 2019. Talked with Qualcomm, had a couple of emails with uh, MediaTek PR, and basically this it just is not the case. This was something that. I think uh, misrepresented, misstated. I don't know exactly what the source of it was on this Digitimes piece, um, but they're you know the seven nanometer Qualcomm uh, next generation application processor still coming late this year. It'll be announced. You, you know you can probably be pretty sure at the at the tech summit that they have uh, in December, and um, yeah, they'll they'll have their seven nanometer parts out there. And I have, uh, I have one answer: Digitimes. Uh, yeah, 50, yeah. Only a fifty percent hit rate. Yeah, hey, but you know, fifty percent of the time, <laughs> you're right, hundred percent of the time, right? Something to that effect. Uh, so that's out there. Also, Nvidia, um, in its, I guess, in its continuing dominance with the Turing architecture, kind of getting it into as many places as possible. They announced a a Tesla variant of this as part of. Uh, they actually announced it at GTC Japan. As part of um, uh, kind of, I, I looked at it as a announcement of how they plan to continue their extraordinary growth opportunities for like the next five, ten years or whatever. Uh, so the the short on the Turing side of this is that uh, they're releasing the Turing T4 uh, or the Tesla T4. I'm sorry, which is a new discrete graphics card that is an upgrade and replacement to the Tesla P4 that is a a 75 watt, you know, low form factor, small form factor, you know, half height card for hyperscale servers for inferencing AI, not training AI. NVIDIA is still mostly known as a training AI uh, dominant company uh, with their with their high end high performance GPUs. Now, you know, they're, they're, they understand that uh, inferencing is going to be where the growth and the scale really comes from on this stuff. And so they want to make sure that they're in that conversation, that they that any of their leadership positions are kind of well-documented. And the Turing allows them to do that. And it also brings tensor cores to the inferencing level uh, graphics card. I keep saying graphics cards. Uh, the inferencing level products that NVIDIA has in the... In the um, data center space for the first time where before they were limited to the Volta cards, which were much more expensive and uh, much more uh, kind of utilized in, in training systems. Um, they, it's, so it's the same Turing GPU that we're seeing in the Quadros and in the GeForce. It has the Tensor cores. It does still have, I did confirm that they still have the RT cores, the ray tracing cores, although they wouldn't go into much detail on what they may or may not be used for. I kind of get the feeling they're going to be, it's going to be a little bit of dark silicon until they can Maybe figure out some application to use um, these these kind of acceleration cores for on the AI side, uh, but there I think there will be some stuff there. Did you get any anything different from um, that that Turing Tesla launch or, or what their intentions were there? Did you use the phrase dark silicon? <clears throat> I I did. I, Is that I love that. I, I may steal yeah. that and I'll never give you attribution. <laughs> So, Fair. Um, yeah. So this to me is so the market's heating up, real revenue, people really doing things, not just research. And you have the training side of the house and the inference side of the, the data center house uh, heating up. Uh, Intel uh, showed their uh, latest and greatest what they were planning on doing, which is integrating uh, some inference instructions and training instructions directly into Xeon, leveraging AVX 512. 
You have the FP, you have the FPGA camp that's uh, operating uh, more along the the inference uh, uh, line, and then you have the fixed function uh, like TPU, which uh, so everything is heating up right now. And and to Nvidia's credit, they they just raised you know raised the stakes here. Uh, one, you know, to give people uh, something else to think about, because quite frankly, in inference, uh, NVIDIA isn't dominant uh, in, in inference. It's, it's good old CPUs that, uh, yeah. uh, that, that are doing this. Now, on leading edge, people are using uh, a lot of NVIDIA, but in overall, uh, the market, they're not. So I think, I think for the next few cycles, uh, NVIDIA has training likely locked up and really inference is the only thing that's up for grabs, which from a market point of view is higher volumes with lower ASPs, but overall revenue, it, it's likely 5x the revenue uh, in two to three years. So uh, uh, super, yeah. super important. Uh, we're going to have to keep an eye on the dark silicon uh, into the future. <laughs> I love that. The other, uh, the other kind of part of of their announcement, and I'll try to run through this quick, was they they basically announced a new family called AGX, which is um, their a, a new brand kind of encompassing the autonomous robotics uh, for AI. So uh, this includes Drive series for autonomous vehicles, Jetson for edge computing and robotics, and will basically allow them to kind of combine these areas uh, that have in their, in the, you know, based on what they're saying, very similar compute challenges, right? Sensor inputs, path planning, actuation of drive systems. You know, one of the calls I had with them, they talked about um, the, the compute challenges for autonomous robots, whether or not they be in manufacturing or, you know, at hospitals or you know, elderly patients or, or at homes, whatever, is is actually more complicated than than simply autonomous driving. Because it, with a car, your goal is to not run into anything else. Whereas with a robot, uh, you need to interact with humans, other things. You need to not you know uh, run people over, crush them, break their break their precious uh, glasses as you're bringing them a cup of water, things like that. Uh, that that make it really interesting. So. They talked about they announced Jetson AGX Xavier, which is a, a palm size module uh, that has tremendous amount of compute power. You know, targeting AI processing for robotic systems. They had some great partnership announcements um, with Yamaha, who is going to use the Nvidia tech to power their AI driven machines from agriculture to marine products. Um, it, it was a pretty pretty um, uh, impressive partner list. Uh, Fanuc and Komatsu uh, looking to create like a fleet of autonomous construction and mining vehicles that say will improve safety and productivity. There's a, there were a lot of great companies here. Not a surprise that they did this announcement in Japan as, as a lot of these Japanese uh, manufacturing companies are kind of like world leading in that space. And then they, they also did medical instrumentation as well. Um, the Clara AGX is their system. Clara is something that they have announced before, they've talked about before, but now again, it's kind of being encompassed into this robotics and automation system. Clara AGX will be um, not, not replacing medical instrumentation, but basically processing the information from these systems. It was an interesting discussion about these medical instruments have 10-year lifespans. And 
in a compute world, 10 years is like an eternity. Um, and so the ability to improve the accuracy and capability of these devices that may have been in place for seven, eight, 10 years uh, saves people a ton of money. It improves the ability to diagnose. Uh, it means you know you can spend less time in an IR, MRI machine but get a quality of reading that's 10x better, those types of things. Um, and and it, kind of their overall picture was this. This was their... You know uh, their their plan for that next five year window, ten year window uh, of growth in industrial robotics and, and medical AI. Uh, edge computing needs machine learning more than even the the giant data center because you have the constraints of power and thermal. Um, yeah. And I think GPUs uh, could have a really good opportunity here, and for that matter, uh, FPGAs. You know, a lot of the uh, a lot of the stuff done in LiDAR systems uh, it uses FPGAs because of the reprogrammability. But if you don't have another kind of application you need to reprogram, um, then I think that um, this is a, a, a really a really good look from uh, NVIDIA. Yep. A couple of quick stories from, from Qualcomm. You wrote about the uh, Snapdragon Wear 3100 Launch. Oh, I'm sorry. Anshul wrote about it. Um, this was, you know, I, you know. I think preemptive, a little bit for the to the Apple Watch uh, announcement. This is their their new hardware platform for this that introduces an ultra low power coprocessor. That that I think the most important thing that we've got from here is that it, extending battery life by being able to put the device into specific modes, um, whether it be uh, like a, a, a activity tracking mode or sport mode or just long-term use mode if you want to have the screen on for a you know they're making claims of like a week at a time um, between charges which which would be a pretty dramatic change from where we're at today which i think the best smart smart watches you're looking at two days probably on this it is and this kind of leads to the the conversation that, that i kicked off with the watch which is you know this is for a very specific use case, to me, this hits the the mid-range on using uh, uh, Android Wear, or is it Google Wear now? I always get confused. Uh, and then for for the super the super low end uh, market, as opposed to you know what can I do with 12 hours of battery life like the uh, like the Apple Watch. So it had been two years since uh, Qualcomm had had brought out a a new wearable op, uh, a new wearable chip, and I think they could have easily cranked that one last year. But you know, to be blunt, when Google isn't bringing an appropriate operating system to the table to move it to the next level, why bring out a new chip? Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't matter. Sure. Um, and uh, Qualcomm is very well represented uh, in in China. Uh, uh, Samsung with Galaxy Watch went with their own custom silicon, which I found uh, pretty interesting. Uh, but <clears throat> this is this is a market that is slowly but surely uh, growing. Has lost a bit of the huge interest and and hype that it had before. But the market's yeah. maturing, and and we have we have three segments, so it's very easy to understand where where this market's going yep i think it'll be interesting to see how what the devices like this how they're promoted 
uh, in comparison to the Apple options. And again, you're right, because of the kind of, I would say the lack of, of real push uh, from from Google on this. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, the other thing that, that Qualcomm uh, has been involved in in the last week or so was this uh, this back and forth between Qualcomm and Broadcom on 802.11ax. Um, this is a, a, a nearly upon us launch of, of new wireless routers, new wireless device access devices, um, 802.11x being basically the ability to get significantly more density into these into these networks it's not it's not a huge top speed improvement uh over what you get out of the second wave of 802.11 ac devices but it is you know uh are you going to get more devices in 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 more space getting their peak performance levels um you're going to see routers with eight by eight um streaming as opposed to four by four kind of being the the standard here uh the back and forth here between these two companies which is obviously made more interesting from the uh, events earlier in the year where Broadcom was attempting that hostile takeover of Qualcomm, was basically Broadcom saying they were the first to start shipping, Um, Qualcomm coming out and saying, well, actually, I mean, we we announced that several months ago that we were shipping these devices and um, kind of this this back and forth about whose partners we're going to release, going to release first. it's interesting in that I think most of us, most people who watch this space would, would see Broadcom was once the de facto wireless communications leader, and, and now they're, they're, they're starting to lose out in that space a lot. They've, they've dropped in market share. Qualcomm took over the number one spot, I believe, uh, in the second quarter of 2017. And a lot of that was driven on mesh networks, which Qualcomm, I think, is in 64 of the 65 shipping globally mesh systems, um, including like, you know, the Googles and uh, uh, the Eros and the ones that are very popular and get a lot of, of uh, uh, marketing and, and push behind them. Um, and, and, while while Broadcom's market share in Wi-Fi has gone from thirty-seven to twenty-seven percent, right? So that's that's a pretty dramatic shift for them. They're trying to to maintain that hold, and and as there is an inflection point coming for AX, that's a good opportunity for both of these companies to try to stretch and uh, either extend that lead if you're Qualcomm or retake it if you're Broadcom. Um, but based on the the people I've talked to and the partners I've talked to and the devices I've seen. It does look like Qualcomm will be the first to actually have devices available for it. Obviously, you're not going to have an 802.11ax enabled phone or laptop in the immediate future. That's kind of been the case with wireless rollouts for several generations. But um, they are claiming performance benefits uh, for existing existing devices on 802.11ax routers too. So I'll be interested to see how that how that pans out. Have you seen anything on AX yet? So I have. I mean, uh, AX solves a lot of problems and, and congestion in the business and the home. I think that AX will be will be what enterprises will adopt on, and enterprises literally go in in five to eight year cycles when it comes to Wi-Fi. Uh, yeah. Broadcom is a is a the Broadcom Wi-Fi is is in crisis. I mean, like you said, they were the they were the one-stop shop where you would go uh, for Wi-Fi. It was dominant. They were first with certain technologies, and um, uh, I saw them to start slipping when they started uh, m- in it, marketing uh, Wi-Fi as 5G. 
Yeah. Uh, which I think, you know, whenever you see kind of messaging and marketing flailing, a lot of the times it's the there's some underlying rot uh, in in the core. A lot of the right. things that – and then enter Qualcomm with Mesh, and, and with Mesh uses a lot of the IP that it takes for uh, uh, cell phones to change from tower to tower, right? So it was interesting that, that Qualcomm would, would bring that technology uh, uh, in, into play, and I think – with Qualcomm and Broadcom uh, fighting it out on AX is really the first new standard where they're fighting toe-to-toe. Uh, -to -toe. So right. uh, Qualcomm has the momentum. Uh, Broadcom has the um, kind of the entrenched position, particularly in, in the, the enterprise. So yep. uh, it's going to be interesting uh, to watch. And, and look at everybody's claims uh, that that they're making. <laughs> uh, I'm really interested uh, in that. Um, Broadcom has historically been stretching uh, it a bit, hence uh, 5G Wi-Fi. So yep. that'll be interesting. Yep. All right, everyone. I think that is going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, if you want to catch all of our uh back episodes anything you might have missed and or subscribe so you make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes you can go to thetechanalysts.com or you can just search for the tech analysts on itunes or your podcast app on your phone or google play or whatever whatever app you happen to be using to download and listen to this particular show and we'll see you guys next time 